Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to introduce this topic by, well... Let me play with it just a little bit. Let me give you kind of um, kind of a roundabout what I'm talking about. I'm going to let you guess what I'm going to talk about. Uh, this is something that takes up uh, about 2,000 hours of your time every year. And it's something that consumes about 90 to about 100,000 hours over the course of your life from 20 to about 65. That is if you do it full time. Okay. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? It's the topic of work. of work. How many of y'all work to make a living? Yeah. Uh, some of you are retired. I know that you, you used to work. Uh, I get some of you, your stay-at-home moms. I, I get it. But no matter what you do, I mean, whether you, you work to make money um, or not, we're, we're all working in different ways in our lives. So I want to talk about this topic of work today. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is very simply this. Witness while you work. Witness while you work. Now, I have to start out by apologizing for not talking about work more frequently over the years. I thought about this just, this was just yesterday. I was sitting on the couch with my wife and and I had this thought. Uh, I, I thought about how, like, as, as preachers, we spend a great deal of time laboring by teaching and preaching to equip you to do ministry outside of work and after work. But we don't take much time at all to equip you to bear witness for Jesus while you are at work. And I I want to point out 2,000 hours a year, 90 to 100,000 hours over the course of your life. How many of y'all know that's a big chunk of your life if you work full time? And so forgive me, forgive me. We have not, I have, I'll say, I have not done a good job of equipping you to be a good witness for Jesus while at your workplace. And I'm going to qualify what that means today because some of you think that, well, now, okay, I know what the message is going to be. Pastor Scott's going to teach me. He's going to tell me how to get up, you know, in my chair and how to preach. So everybody will listen. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about what you might think I'm going to talk about when I talk about bearing witness for Jesus. This is a super practical message. And please, 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 please take notes because I have some truths today that if you take them down, pick them up and apply them, I promise you that you will be an incredible witness for Jesus in your workplace and bring a lot of glory to him. Does anybody want to do that? I promise you, you will. Okay. And so today we're going to look at just four verses from Acts chapter 18. The first verses here, verses one through four, these first four verses. So turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, it's totally cool because we're going to have all of these verses and the others up on the screen. So are y'all ready for the word? Are you sure? All right, let's read together. Acts 18 verse 1 begins by saying, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that is Emperor Claudius, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because... He was of the, say it with me, same, the same what? 
the same trade, he stayed with them and he did what? He worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Father, help us today get what you want to say to us from your word. Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and the resolve to do what you've called us to do. We pray these things now in Jesus' incredible name. Everyone said, amen. All right. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context of what's going on here. If you go back a couple of messages ago, I talked about Paul's ministry in Athens. Go back to Acts 17. You can read that if you missed it. Um, But there in Athens, Paul ministered to the Athenians and foreigners, the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. He ministered to the intellectuals of that area of Athens. But now we're told that, well, Paul traveled from Athens to the city of Corinth. And these cities were about 50 miles apart. I guess that's the distance between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. Is that right? About 50 miles? Is that right? Does anybody know? Okay, you should know. Okay, I think that's right. About 50 miles. So that's the distance, okay? And so these cities, uh, Athens and Corinth, they were similar in some respects, but they were also very different in other ways. For example, as mentioned, Athens, if you were to say Athens in that day, or Athens even today, if you know that time in, in history, you know that Athens was, well, it was, uh, it was an intellectual place. Okay? But, but Corinth, on the other hand, it wasn't known for its intellectualism. Uh, Corinth was uh, better known for, here are two C's. So you've got Corinth C, here's the first C, for its commerce and for its craziness. Okay, what type of craziness? Well, I'm glad you asked. A Corinth was like, well, Las Vegas. Raise your hand if you've been to Las Vegas. Now, I know that you can go to Las Vegas, you can go for business. There are some noble, righteous reasons, I think, to go to Las Vegas. But what, what is Las Vegas called? Sin City. Sin City. How many of y'all know it's called that for a reason? Because when you go there, it's really easy to what? If you got some money, and even if you don't, that's the place to go to sin, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand, because, yeah, don't give it away. Corinth was like Las Vegas, except worse. It was worse. It was known for gross sexual immorality. It was like there was like an open sewer just flowing through the streets of, of every sort of sexual perversion and deviation. As a matter of fact, the term Corinthianize, uh, this was coined by the Greeks, and this term Corinthianize meant to whore around or to be sexually immoral. And so if you were a Corinthian and you were you know, outside of that environment in another city, People would, as soon as they heard that you were a Corinthian, all kinds of notions would come up. Oh, you're you're one of those types. Yeah. Now, there was sexual immorality all through the ancient world. But especially, especially at Corinth. Because it was at Corinth where, of course, there was the worship of of false gods. But there was the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. uh, This goddess who promoted sexual immorality. Okay, And so Paul, I want you to say this about Paul. Paul went from ministering to the intellectuals, to the philosophers. He went from them to what we would call today the pornographers. So no matter which direction... 
Paul turned. No matter where he went, he can minister to just about anyone, which is really cool, huh? That's how we should be, right? The type of Christians who are equipped to speak to whomever. Doesn't matter the, the, the audience, the type of person, we should be equipped to that end. And that's my job. It's my job and my joy to equip you to do the work of the ministry, whether you're here in Lafayette or you are in Sin City. You are called by God to be effective for God in the work of the ministry. How many of y'all know you're all ministers if you're in Jesus Christ? Yeah, you, you are. And so it's my job to equip you to that end. But Paul, I love this about Paul because no matter where he went, he, he, could, he could minister to those who are led by their reason or to those who are led by their emotion. To the philosophers he could speak, to the pornographers, so to speak, he could minister. But we're told here that Paul comes to this city called Corinth. And he went to this city and met up with this couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Luke tells us that this couple, they were banished from Rome. Uh, because they were Jews, they were kicked out of Rome, and they found themselves in Corinth. Paul, Paul discovers that they're there, but, but I love what Luke does with this. Luke could have written this account however he wanted. I mean, he could have said anything that he wanted to say. But he wrote this in a certain way to highlight this very fact. Luke tells us that Paul went to Corinth to meet up with Aquila and Priscilla, not to minister to them, but he met up with them because they were of the same trade. That they were of the same trade. Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, they were all tent makers. That they worked with leather. They worked with leather hide and they made tents. And by making tents, they made a pretty good living. Now watch this. Of all the things Luke could have highlighted. He highlighted the fact that Paul met up with this couple and he worked with them, which I think is very significant. He made tents with them. And by making tents, he made money. But I'm going to argue today, listen, what you do for work is not just a means to make money. It's even more importantly a means by which you can make a difference for Jesus in your workplace. So I'm not talking about just what you do out. Of course, we talk about what you do outside of work, outside of your workplace. I want to talk to you about how you at work can make a difference for Jesus, how you can bear witness for Jesus, how you can bring honor and glory to Jesus no matter what you do. No matter what you do, whether you work with, with, with computers, if you're a lawyer, offshore worker, even if you are, listen to me, a stay-at-home mom raising your children, that is holy work. That is holy service unto the Lord. Does that make sense? Now, now let's, let's develop this, okay? Because when I think about Paul, I mean, so far I've been talking about how he, he preached, he taught, you know, he cast out demons, he's healing the sick. I mean, that's what his story's been about, hasn't it? And, and I think, when I think of Paul, I, I think, well, Paul was doing church stuff. You know, all through you know, Acts, as Luke reports him, he's doing church stuff. But now we're told that, well, Paul, yeah, he preached the gospel. Yes, he reasoned with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogue. Yeah, yeah, that was Saturday. But, but, but Paul, listen to me, Paul worked with his hands. Paul had calluses on his hands. Paul was not a, a well-dressed preacher as the man of God walking into Corinth asking people to give him money. 
If you think of Paul, think of a man, yes, who preached, who taught, who ministered. But I want you to think of a man with calluses. He had calluses on his hands. And he worked so hard, I'm convinced that by the end of the day, when he hit the ground, when he hit his bed, he was out cold because of the hard labor that he dedicated himself to. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that for me makes Paul much more relatable. Does that help you a little bit? So he was not just a guy dedicated to what we call church stuff. Paul worked with his hands. He made tents with his hands. Now, the question is, why did he work? I mean, couldn't Paul just show up, preach in Corinth, preach in Thessalonica, preach a real good sermon, and then do what a lot of preachers would do, do today, take up an offering. That's what a lot of pastors do, especially the traveling ones. Preach real well. If you, you know, the pastor preaches well, take up an offering, and that's how, that's how they make their living. Okay? But Paul didn't do that. He didn't do that here at Corinth. What did he do instead? He, wa- he worked. But the question is, why? Well, listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.9. He says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We, what? Worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8. He says, for you yourselves know, therefore the example was set. You know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not what? We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now this is pretty powerful stuff, huh? This is a man of integrity. This is a man of character. If I were to, you know, give the, you know, the Scott Adams message version, Paul would say, listen to me, Thessalonians, you know, the example that I set when I was there, I worked my tail off while I was there, while I ministered to you. I, I, I did so because I did not want to be a burden to you. How many of y'all know the apostle Paul, he did not want to be a burden. He wanted to be the man, the apostle who would come and lift burdens. And so that's his point. He said, I did this among you. I worked this way. I got calluses on my hands night and day. I worked this way because as a pastor, he said, I don't, I don't want to be a financial burden on you, God's people. Now that's pretty noble, isn't it? That's very noble. So why did he work? Well, because he didn't want to be a burden. Now to be to be fair and to be holistic here, he goes on in 1 Corinthians 9 to say that if he, if he sowed spiritual seed, that he had the right to a material harvest. And he says, even the Lord says, those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. So in other words, Paul had that right to preach the gospel and to live off the income of people as they gave resources that he could live off of that. But Paul did not always exercise that right. But in the New Testament and today, the principle is this. Those who preach the gospel should make their living how? By the gospel. In other words, if I preach to you, then, well, 
we're not, I'm not going to go from person to person in charge, but when we take up the offering, that's our way of saying, well, this is your opportunity to support what God is doing right here at our Savior's church. And listen to me very carefully. Oftentimes I get up before the offering and I talk about because of your generosity, we did this, or because of your generosity, we did that. And, and listen, thank you. Thank you for your money. Thank you for giving to the, the Tim Tebow Foundation for things locally that you give to. But let me make this personal today. Thank you for giving because your money helps lift the financial burden off of me so that I can come every Sunday and lift the burdens off of you. Does that make sense? So when you give, well, thank you because I get paid. Thank you for your generosity. And so I am resourced because of your generosity to do what God has called me to do. What has he called me to do? All the ministry, right? No, no, he's called me to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry so you can do it in your workplace, out of your workplace, everywhere you go to be the ones who make a difference for Jesus Christ. So thank you. I'm thanking y'all. Are y'all receiving this? Thank you for giving your hard-earned money. And your money is not to go to make me rich. Your money empowers and resources me so I, through the gospel, can make you spiritually rich. Does that make sense? So never, ever, ever, ever should I or any pastor seek to become rich financially from the people. But there is this New Testament principle of if we preach the gospel, we should make our living by the gospel. So thank y'all. Let me say it one more time. Thank y'all. Give one another the church a hand. Come on. Thank y'all for your faithfulness, man. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. It's making a big difference. It makes a huge difference in my life. I show up here, I study, I pray, I'm with God. I I get in the kitchen so I can come out every Sunday and other places to serve out what God has given me. So thank y'all. Do y'all receive that? Thank y'all. Thank y'all very much. That's my heart. And so with that said, um, I want to point out something that's so important for us today. And it's this. Luke, Luke tells us that Paul worked. And by implication, here as we read it, he worked hard, which, as mentioned, makes him much more relatable to me. He worked with his hands, and he did it for the glory of God. But let me ask you a question. Where does the concept and practice of work come from? Someone said, I know, the devil. (laughs) From the pastor from the pit of hell. Some of you who are working jobs that you don't like, maybe that's your, maybe that's your sentiment. Raise your hand if you've ever worked a job that you thought was from the pit of hell, but you worked it anyway. Okay, the rest of your line, okay. Yeah. Come on, we, we've all worked jobs that we didn't like. But, but the concept and practice of work, where did it come from? Well, can I show you all where it came from? Will you all let me teach you all for a while? A couple hours? you all got a couple hours? No, no, I'm not going to go that long. Y'all got some, y'all, y'all ready? Y'all ready? One person, y'all ready? Check it out. Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a what? A living creature. And then in verse 15, I'm teaching y'all today. In verse 15, listen to what the word of God says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to and to keep it. Now, these terms work and keep in the Hebrew, I won't get into the technical details here, but watch this. They convey the ideas of cultivating, tending, and guarding the garden. 
That was Adam's responsibility in the garden. Let me say these words again. To cultivate, to tend, and to guard the first workspace given to mankind. Do you guys know that the Garden of Eden was the first workplace environment? And watch this. God did not create Adam in the garden. He placed him in the garden. And when he placed him in the garden, he gave him a job in the garden. So work does not come from the devil. Work comes from God. This happened, Genesis 2.15, before the fall of man into sin in chapter 3. So I like to say it this way. That the call to work came before the fall. And so work is not from the devil. Work is not a result of sin. Work comes from God. And the language used here in Genesis is priestly language, especially the word for keep it. As Adam worked the garden, as he cultivated the garden, as he tended to the garden, as he guarded the garden, that was his priestly service unto the Lord. Now, if you get what I'm saying today, if you'll get this concept of work from the scriptures, your understanding of work will go to an entirely new level. And I promise it will provide a greater degree of motivation for you when you get up every day. Because in short, when you get up and you go to work, you're not just going to earn a wage. You're not just going to make money. You're going to make a difference for Jesus. You're going to your workplace as your priestly, holy service unto the Lord. And that should be very motivating in the morning when you're discouraged. You can say, oh God, I remember you created Adam, then you placed him in the garden. Lord, you made me, you created me, and you placed me in this workspace. And therefore, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to go and I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to work with all my heart to bring glory to your name. You might not make that much money, but you have an opportunity to, to make a big deal about Jesus, not just in what you say, but in the way you live, in the way you work, in the way that you conduct your affairs in your workplace, wherever that is. Does that make sense? So, noble work is a gift from the Lord. You say, okay, Scott, I get it. But why are you telling me this? I mean, I get it, but, but do tell. Like, what's the impulse? I'm telling you all this because, well, I'm afraid that, that many of you, maybe most of you here, have a very narrow view of work. That maybe you think, well, getting up tomorrow and doing whatever you do, again, it's just the means to make a living. But if you are here today and you can hear me speak, please write this down because I've got some truth to share for you. If you work a noble, honest job, let me stop there. How many of y'all know there's a difference between a profession and a profession that's really a perversion? There are some professions that are perversions. There are some trades that are not godly. Okay, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about good, honest, noble work if you have that kind of job, if you have that kind of work, then your work is sacred and holy service unto the Lord. And, and one of the ways that you can be a good witness for the Lord. Did y'all get that? So when you go to work, provided that it's a noble job, it's noble work. Well, that is your holy, 
your priestly, holy service to the Lord. And it's one of the ways that you can be a really good witness for the Lord to be a light in a very dark work environment. Thank God for those of you, you have those workspaces and environments that are godly. Thank God that you have that. But I know that not everyone has that type of blessing in, in your lives. I know that some of you are going to work and you are surrounded by darkness. Well, guess what that means? Well, every time you show up to work, you can say the light has arrived. <laughs> and you're not Jesus. You're not that good. But you are, you are called to bear witness to Jesus. Not just with your lips, but by the way you live and the way you conduct your business. By being honest. By doing what you say you're going to do. And much, much more. Does, does that make sense? So by your work, we not only have... You not only have this opportunity to make money, but you have this opportunity to make a difference for Jesus. And remember, you've got a lot of time to do it if you work a full-time job. 2,000 hours over a year, 90 to 100,000 years over the course of one's lifetime. How many of y'all know that's a lot of time? You're going to be at work way more than you're going to be in your small group or your discipleship group. You're going to be at work way more than you're going to be here. And so we've got this incredible opportunity to bear witness for Jesus. I've said before, someone said before, I don't know who said it first, but I'm going to say it again. It's been said that there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most people read you before they ever read the Bible. And by reading you, if they see a consistent picture of what Christianity looks like, a gospel that's fleshed out and attractive in your life, then the, the aim is for them to say, can I read the same word that transformed you? And the answer will always be yes. But I mean, y'all know we're living epistles. We are living gospels. And the question is, what is your work? What is your life saying about the one that you proclaim to serve? What is your life saying? What does your work say about the God that you serve? Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are inspired, inerrant gospels. I should say gospels. The gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word of God. And not up for discussion. Your life, unlike the word of God, is imperfect. But nonetheless, we have this incredible opportunity, don't we? To, to show people the good news of Jesus and how that good news affects our minds, how that good news has affected our hearts, and how that good news affects our work. Now, you might be here thinking, okay, Pastor Scott, all right, good. I'm going to be a witness at work, okay? But uh-uh, I'm not standing up on the chair. I'm not going to get up and preach. Uh-uh, I'm not doing what you do. Listen to me, I'm not asking you to do in your workplace whatever that looks like what I do. I'm asking you simply today to just be a Christian who loves God and who loves people, a man or a woman of God who keeps your word, you keep your promises, as I'm going to talk about today, you show up a little bit early, you stay a little bit late, you do all things well. I'm talking about just living out your Christian life in your workplace in such a way that you bring glory and honor to God. And not everybody can preach well, but everybody can live well in their workplace, work well in their workplace to get people's attention so that you can tell them about Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm talking about what you do, not just to make money, but what you do 
to make a difference. And so I'm going to give you three simple ways to do that. How you can be a good witness for Jesus at your workplace involved the following. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Number one, please write this down. Please get this. This is so huge. This is so important. Number one, be thankful for your work. Just start right there. Before you go any farther, just, just be thankful. And let it show that you're thankful. Some of you are living your dream job. You're working your dream job. You go to work and you're like, I can't believe this life God has given me. I can't believe this job God has given me. But others of you, you're like, Jesus, take the wheel and get me out of here. <laughs> right? I won't ask you to raise your hand on that. But you're here. But as I said earlier, let me say it one more time. My old pastor taught me this. He pointed this out years ago to me in the text. God did not create Adam in the garden. He created him and then placed him in the garden and then gave him a job in the garden. And by the way, before he gave him a wife, he gave him a job. So if you don't have a job, your full-time job is to get one. It's good to work. It's good to work. If you don't have, you're out of work, I'm sorry. We're going to pray that God will give you the work that you need. And, And I'm going to show you that here, God placed him. In the garden. God placed him in the first workplace and said, I want you to work it and I want you to keep it. If you have a job today, first of all, it might not be the job that you want. It might not be the job that you desire. But if you've got a job and you can earn a decent wage, you should lift up your hands and thank God that you have a job at all. Period. Because some don't. They will. God will provide. But for now, some of you don't have work. You're looking for it. And we're going to pray that you get it. But it's good to want to work it and keep it. That, that comes from God. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks in, y'all say it. In what kind of circumstances? When things work in your favor, you give thanks then, right? Well, you do, right? But how about when you pray, God, give me, give me a job. And, and, and it turns out that it's not actually the job that you prayed for. What, what do you do then according to Paul? You say, Lord, it wasn't really the job that I was looking for, but God, you place me here. So while I'm here, I'm going to be thankful for this job. And I'm not going to groan. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to use my mouth. I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to thank you every day that I get up, that I have the ability to go to work, to think and to reason, to use my hands to work. Come on, somebody, give him thanks today. We should be so grateful for the ability to work. And maybe you're not making that much money in your current job. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more. But God has placed you there for a season for the reason, perhaps, of being a good witness to someone in that work environment that God decided before the world began, he was going to reach through you and through you only. Did you know that some of you in your workplace, you are the only example of Jesus that some will ever see there. But God has sent you there to to share Jesus, to live Jesus, to be a good witness 
for Jesus for the purpose of transforming somebody's life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the same gospel that changed you, the same Holy Spirit that changed you will also change them. Are y'all with me? In the workplace, we talk about revival like that's something that can only happen at church. May God let it happen in cubicles, in business offices, in schools, in homes, all across Acadiana. And God might just use you to that end. And not just revival among Christians, but to call spiritually dead people to life through the gospel. Oh, Easter's coming. I'm going to preach like a madman on the resurrection of Jesus. But how many of y'all know he's still raising the dead spiritually? And just believe God's word. Trust his promises and his power that he's able to raise people from the dead. Those that sit next to you in your workplace. Those that you serve beside. You say, oh, pastor, if you knew how sinful and messed up they are. If you only knew how sinful and messed up I was. How many of y'all know the sin in us is great, but the grace in Jesus is greater. And no one is too far gone. Boy, this is good stuff. Y'all with me? So, whatever the reason, you can be thankful that you're there because God will do something through you and in you while you are there. While you are there. So, let me just share a quick story from my own life. About two decades ago, God gave me a vision. And that vision entailed me doing what I'm doing right now. God showed me early on in my Christian walk that I was going to be a pastor. I was going to work in academics. I was going to work in a university and in a church. And I do both. And I cannot believe every day that I get up and I get paid to do what I do. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you all. But he gave me this vision. And boy, I got fired up about it. Like, you mean, God, that is what I'm going to be paid to do? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, he didn't say uh uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, yes. (laughs) But the distance between where I was... And where God showed me that I would be, well, there was a big old gap right there. And so I was fired up about going into what we call full-time ministry, which I don't like. I don't like those words because if you're a Christian, you are in full-time ministry, as I'm trying to show you today. But let's go with it. That would be paid by a church, by a university, that I would be in Christian education for the rest of my life. That's what God showed me when I got there. But he also showed me that before I got there, that, well, I had to get a J-O-B and work and to work my tail off. And at the right time, God would call me in to the full-time ministry. And you know what I said to God? I said, "Mm mm-mm, I'm the man of God. I've gotten the vision from you. You told me I was going to do it. I'm, I'm, I am going into ministry tomorrow. Y'all know I didn't say that. Because you know if I said that, I would not be preaching to you today. I would be dead. <laughs> I've done so many stupid things in my life. So many stupid things. Especially at that time. And before that time. But the one thing I did right was I said, God, whatever you want to do in me, Not that I have to give God permission. We don't have to give God permission. I know what the song's trying to say. God does what God does. 
But Lord, I'm saying to you, whatever it takes for me to get there, whatever job I have to work, that's good because I know that you are going to work in me through the whole process. I know that while I'm, watch this, cutting grass, while I'm painting fences, while I'm weed eating, while I'm homeschooling someone's children, while I'm detailing cars, while I did all of that, I knew that God was in the middle of it all, equipping me and preparing me for my calling overall as a pastor and as a professor. So here was the logic of it all. I knew that if I couldn't faithfully take care of someone's grass, why would God entrust me to shepherd someone's soul? And so for, for a good long season, I said, Lord, I'm not in it yet because obviously there are things in me that you want to do. So I, I painted fences, miles of fences. I weed-eated, which is, by the way, those are noble professions. If you do that, you can weed-eat for the glory of God. If you paint fences, you can do it for the glory of God. For me, those were stepping stones. God was working in me to, to show that, Lord, God knew, but it was me passing the test of saying, God, I am thankful for where you've placed me. This is my garden for this season. So I'm going to tend. I'm going to cultivate. I'm going to guard this. I'm going to be faithful in it. And, Lord, you do what you do whenever you want to do. It was about two years later, God called me into the full-time ministry, and I've been doing this ever since. Why would God ask me to tend to your soul if I wasn't faithful in tending to somebody's fence? If I wasn't faithful in the so-called little, which for some is big, but for me, if I wasn't faithful in that, why would God trust me to do more? And boy, that applies to me, but that also applies to you. He's doing something in you right now. Even at that job that you detest. Everything changes when you acknowledge, Lord, you place me here. And if you place me here, since you place me here, I am going to lift my hands and I'm going to thank you that this work that I perform is holy priestly service unto you. Listen to me, offshore workers, what you do is holy service unto the Lord. Listen to me, scientists, lawyers, those of you moms, you stay home, you change diapers, those of you sell insurance, those of you who are computer nerds, you do it, and you do it as your priestly service unto the Lord. And when you see it as such, you get up in the morning, and it's no longer about you. It's no longer about them, those that you work for, it's all about him, y'all. It's all about him. It is you, it's me, it's us. We're not the light. We came to bear witness to the light. Everywhere we go, but especially in your workplace. Does this make sense? And just a side note, one of the most powerful ways to be a good witness, as you flip burgers as you sell insurance, as you do what you do. One of the most powerful ways to be a good witness for Jesus is by simply, number one, giving thanks, but having a good attitude in your workplace. There is no greater contradiction than a Christian who goes around giving thanks 
at church, but then in their workplace, groans and murmurs and complains about the work that God has given them. Does that hurt you? That should cut on you a little bit. A complaining Christian is a contradiction. Have you done it? We all have. I have before. God forgive me. Paul says, Philippians 2.14, do all things. Everybody say all things. What things? Without what? Grumbling or disputing? That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Number two. Be th- uh, number one, be, first of all, be thankful for your work. Number two, be faithful in your work. Be faithful in your work. As mentioned, God commanded, he called Adam to work the garden, to keep the garden. Again, cultivating, tending, etc. That's what we're to do. Same thing. The workspace God has given us. And so I'm, I'm telling you right now, that if you will just be faithful to do what God has asked, watch this, what God has asked you to do through your employer. Oh, did you hear that? Some of y'all didn't like that. (laughs) If you'll be faithful with the work that God has placed in your hands, if you will just do what you've been entrusted to do, And just a little bit more, that little bit more will make a huge difference in your workplace. Oh, I went on and on and on about this in the first service. Let me give you a tip. People think I'm so deep. I just preach the Bible. People think, Pastor Scott, you're too. Okay, Okay, let me give you something practical. Wherever you go, if you want to be a Christian that brings glory to God, just start here. Pick up the trash on the ground and return your shopping cart for the glory of God. Is that too deep? Scott, you're so deep. Okay, would you just pick up the trash? Start there. I shared earlier. uh, This was a while back. I was driving down Kali Saloon, more properly named Kali Kaboom. Come to red light, and this dude, couldn't believe it, in, in, the, in the passenger on the passenger side, I'm over here, passenger side door opens, this dude takes a bag, a, I, think it was, I think it was Cane's, all food was eaten, had this bag full of trash, opens the door, right there at Nkali, drops his bag of trash in the middle of the road, and then psh, Now listen to me carefully. There are many things I just don't do because I'm a pastor. It's like a wave. It'll go, okay. The flesh said, Scott, go pick up the trash, go back to your car, follow that person. Next stoplight, knock on the window. Window goes down, take the trash and put it back in the trash can. Does anybody feel that? Anybody bear witness? I thought, how trashy. I go to Reds. Get a good workout in. 
whether I'm coming in, going out, inevitably, there's a trail of cups and trash in the parking lot. And I'm sure at some point, I've been in a hurry, been on the phone, I walk past. Almost always, I will reach down and pick up the trash and walk it over to the trash can. Number one, because I love God, and that's what Jesus did for me when he died on the cross. He took my trash. He took responsibility for my mess. So I do it for him, but I also do it because I want to be a good witness for him. Because to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. Does that make sense? Pick up trash. Maybe you work somewhere and someone's paid to do that. You say, that's not my job. If you have that attitude, you won't have a job very long. Certainly not with me. Think about this. If you do just a little, that little in the day and age we live in will go a long way. So show up to work just a little bit early. Stay just a little bit late and watch how you shine like a star. Watch the promotions that will likely come because of you willing to be faithful in your work, to go the extra mile. Your employer will see, other people will see, and you will be promoted. But even if you're not promoted, the greatest joy is knowing that you are being a good witness for Jesus in your workplace. So be faithful. Be faithful. And remember this. The most important thing is not where you work. Remember this. But it's how you work and who you work for. Paul says this to bondservants, to slaves in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for? Some of you are like, well, I hate my job. I don't like my employer. I don't like the people I work around. Listen, it's because you're working for the wrong people. At the end of the day, you don't work for them. You work ultimately for whom? For God. Paul says, whatever you do, work, we can say it hard, work heartily as for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Isn't that empowering? Isn't that motivating? Then when you get up, even if you don't like your job, even if it's hell, even if you're going through hardship, you get up every day knowing that, Lord, I'm going to work because you're my master, you're my boss, and I'm going to work in such a way that will bring a smile to your face. Other people may not be happy, but, Lord, I'm going to work in such a way to make you happy. And if you're happy, that's all that matters. And how many of y'all know promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west? It comes from the Lord. And if you have his favor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people think or see. I promise you his favor will override their blindness. And you will be promoted in due season. Work hard. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be faithful. Number three, we're almost done. Show excellence in everything you do. Show excellence in everything you do. Just a quick question Who was the first worker? Well, earlier I mentioned Adam, but the first worker was God. Genesis chapter 1. Who's read it? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. 
God worked for six days. And then what did he do on the seventh? He rested. And then the last verse of chapter 1 of Genesis, that is verse 31, it says this. And God saw everything he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. It's like God, he created the cosmos. <laughs> he created all things in it. And then he turns around and was like, I did good. Very good. Wow. The Bible says we are to be imitators of God. You're like, oh, but that's God. That's Yahweh. I'm not perfect. That's right. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're going to blow it. We've all blown it. We're going to blow it again. But watch this. You can't be perfect, but you can be excellent in everything that you do. You should do your work, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, go home and look back and say, that was very good. Leslie Jacobs is a phenomenal dentist, pediatric dentist, phenomenal. At the end of the week, she can look back and say, I can say what you do is very good. I can look across the room at different professions, what Justin does, and what Jeremy does, what y'all do, knowing you can look back and say, man, these are men and women of God. What they do is very, it's very good. Not perfect, but it's very good. As Christians, that's how we should live. Man, I worked hard this week. I was thankful for my work. I was faithful in my work. And by the grace of God, I was excellent in everything I did. Not perfect, but I was excellent. Don't ever underestimate the witness of working in that way. That says a lot about the God that you serve. My dad, who, by the way, is doing much better. Much better. Thank y'all for praying for my dad. Several weekends ago, my, my sister texted me. I didn't think he was going to make it through the week coming up at that point. And then I went to see him and I saw him in the hospital. I'm like, dear heavens, I'm going to be preparing his funeral soon. Still believing in faith, but I'm looking at the reality. And then slowly but inevitably, by the grace of God, slowly but surely, he started getting better. And uh, this morning, my sister, she texted me, and it wasn't bad news, it was good news. That, and she actually texted me a little video of dad sitting up. He went from his hospital bed to sitting up in his chair, which he has not done, to my knowledge, in over a month. So thank y'all. Thank y'all for praying for my dad. He's 75, of course, goes without saying he's not going to live forever, but it seems like God still has a purpose for him. Do you know if you're alive today and you got breath in your lungs? You got a beat going on in your heart that God has a purpose for you. My dad was a plumbing engineer and contractor for five decades. And my dad, over the course of time, man, he developed an incredible reputation. Well, for what, Pastor Scott? 
for doing all things well, excellently. And I remember when I was a teenager, I would work with them on certain projects, certain days to earn a little bit of money. And I'll never forget, my dad would put in this like big industrial gas pipe. I mean, he's got this engineering mind. He can, I mean, the way he thinks and what he can do with his hand, it's just remarkable. But I'm following along, trying to keep up, watching him do what he, what he did. And he put this, this contraption together and he stepped back and functionally it worked, but aesthetically, visually, it was crooked. <laughs> and my dad comes over. He says, son, it's got to all come out. And I'm like, we just spent the whole day on that. And it, that, dad, does it work? Yeah, it worked. But to my dad, it was crooked. He ripped the whole thing out and he started over. And he did that pretty regularly. Now it's been said, perfectionism is a sickness to avoid. Excellence is a standard to pursue. And you can't be perfect, but you can be excellent. And my dad would take his workout, take other people's workout, just simply because it was crooked. And he developed quite a reputation. And over the years, people would call him. He would get business from all over. Watch this. He never, to my knowledge, he never had to place an ad for his business in the pages of you know, white pages, yellow pages, wherever. He never had to advertise on a billboard. He didn't have to. Why? Because his work spoke for itself. His work was the billboard. And people saw that he did all things well with excellence, that he would rip things out just to do them again. That Watch this. After my dad allegedly retired at 65, I called him, hey, dad, what you doing? And he was all frustrated. He said, I'm working. I'm like, I thought you retired. He said, I'm trying to, but people keep calling me, wanting me to do work for them. My dad got a call from someone on another continent to come and do work for them in Europe. Do you think he ran an ad in Europe? No, but he had a good name. And his proverb says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. How many of y'all know when you do all things well, you get a good name. And if you get a good name, then you are empowered and resourced to make money. But if you lose your good name, you lose the ability to make money. So what should we do? We should work in such a way that we get a good name. That when someone calls you by name, your name is synonymous with honesty. When they call you, to do a, a job, to perform a task, to sell something, to involve you in something. They know that your name is synonymous with character and integrity. Boy, there's nothing like a good name. But at the end of the day, let's make this real explicitly Christian. We're not working to make a name for ourselves. I don't know about y'all, but what I do and what you do, come on, y'all, it's all for the glory of his name. It's all for the glory.
his reputation in the world. Growing up, you were taught to pray. Our Father. Consecrated, set apart, holy is your name. Do you know that that's not a mere declaration? How many of y'all know God's name is holy? But that's a request. Lord, let your name be hallowed in my life through the way that I live and by the way that I work. May we work in such a way that God gains a really good reputation in this community and that people come running to us and say, I see the way that you live and the way that you work. How is it that you do it? How is it that you work this hard? And we're going to step back and we're going to say, it's not I, it's not us, but it's the grace of God that's in us and with us that enables us to bear witness for him. Isn't that exciting? So Jesus said, you're going to go. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you're going to bear witness for me by the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you empower us right now? Lord, those of us who maybe we've had bad attitudes, would you forgive us? Lord, right now, would you empower us by your Spirit? Lord, give us even today, God. I'm praying for, Lord, that you by your Spirit would dignify the work you've given us to do. Lord, you've placed us in our little gardens. And Lord, I'm praying that you would elevate the meaning and the purpose of that work that you've given us today, Lord. Lord, for those who are working what they think are menial tasks, menial jobs, Lord, I'm praying today that, Lord, there would be a transformation in their minds, that they would see their service, their work as holy unto the Lord. As they cut grass, as they work offshore, Lord, as they change diapers, as we do what you've called us to do, God, would you even give us new motivation? Would you give us eyes to see the sacredness of the work that you've entrusted to us, God. And Lord, forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for grumbling. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, God. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for the the ability to produce wealth. And Lord, I pray for those here who don't have work right now. I pray that you would make a place for them. Lord, I'm I'm praying even now for those who are retired and they think, well, my days of work are over. No, no, no. If you're retired from your vocation, now your full-time job is to work and to live in such a way to make a difference for Jesus. And all that you do and all that you say, may, may older people here, may you dream dreams of the kingdom of God. May you get ideas from heaven of how to advance his cause in the earth in your older, wiser days. Lord, would you breathe? Would you breathe, Lord, into the older people here? The elderly, those who are in the latter stages of life, give them hope and God, give them in their mind a future of what you would have them put their hands to. And so, Lord, we worship you today. We thank you today. Come on, can we just put our hands together? Let's thank him right now. Put your hands together and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.